Good morning, One Church. Morning. Uh, This is our final installment in our series, Five Easy Ways to Wreck Your Life. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. And how many of y'all have enjoyed this really depressing book? Oh, oh my gosh. I tell you, it's a great book. Let me tell you the reason why I like books like this. And I'm just going to be real with you guys. You know, so many times when people, they present themselves or, or, you know, they always present like their best foot forward. And they never do show you the bad parts of their life or the bad sides. They only show you the good sides, right? Well, the cool thing about this is the Bible was written by over 40 different authors. But behind all of those 40 different authors, it's actually the person who wrote it was God. And the cool thing about this is that God allows you to see everybody's warts and all. I love that. And that's what we get when we read Ecclesiastes written by the wisest guy who ever lived. His name was... Solomon, exactly right. Now, let me tell you, this is cool. Solomon, his name literally means peace. In fact, for some of you, you know the Hebrew word peace is shalom. Everybody say shalom. Now, if you're in the southern part of Israel, it's shalom, y'all. Okay, I'm just saying. But um, uh, anyway, that wasn't in my notes. I apologize. But, you know, in fact, that's how you greet people in Israel. It's shalom. And basically what it is, it means peace. Now, the cool thing about Solomon is while he was reigning in Israel, Israel was in its heyday. They weren't at war with anybody. They were always at war with somebody. But during Solomon's reign, in fact, his name means peace, they experienced peace. They were living at the top of their game. They were the richest nation in in, in that area at that time. And they kind of had it all together because Solomon at the time had it all together. But soon his life fell wretchedly apart and he wrecked his life. You know, God told Solomon, came to Solomon a dream. He says, you know what, you can have anything you want for. Anything you want. And he says, you know what, God, I want you to give me wisdom so that I can rule in a godly manner. And God gave him his request. Now, in fact, in Solomon's heyday, when Solomon was on his game, he wrote books like Song of Solomon. How many of y'all read through the book of Song of Solomon? Dear Jesus, steamy glasses, right? I mean, if there's any book in the Bible that needs to be X-rated, it's Song of Solomon. Now, for some of you, because of the the way you're thinking, you're going, I got to read this book. All right? You need to read the Bible. I'm telling you, totally. All right? And it's about the love story between a man and a woman. And there's nothing X-rated about it. You You know who created sex? It wasn't Katy Perry. It was God. And God says it is a good thing in the context of marriage. All right? That's what the entire book of Song of Solomon is about. In fact, Solomon also wrote the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is like a business and life manual. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, which means you could read a chapter a day, and through an entire month you would have read all of Proverbs. And it's really, really practical stuff. But when we come to Ecclesiastes... It's all different because he's wrecked his life. One of the most famous Proverbs is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And this is what it says. It says this. Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your pass straight. Now, here's the thing. Many of you, you kind of, you know that verse. You had it memorized. It's on a plaque somewhere. 
But now Solomon in his old age is writing in his journal and he's saying, I wish I would have never stopped trusting God. Because here's the thing. When we start leaning on our own understanding, our ways get crooked really fast, don't they? And that is the point of Ecclesiastes. In fact, it's like this ball. We've been talking a lot about the shape ball. There's so many of us, we, you know, when we had toddlers, we had these balls. We would give them this ball and have these little shapes. And you would try to fit these shapes in the right holes. And so many times, we've got to realize that God has created in our hearts and in our life a God-shaped void. That we try to fill that God-shaped void with so many other different things. We try to put square pegs in round holes and we wonder why we get frustrated. And that is what the entire book of Ecclesiastes is. is Solomon trying to fill this God-shaped void in his life with addictions and money and sex and success and knowledge and improvements and all of this stuff. And he says at the end of every one of those, it's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. That's what he's talking about. Now think about this. How many of y'all like admitting when you're wrong? Really? You like it? Okay. I don't. We got two people in here. All right. Here's the thing about this. Very few people, I was going to say all, but I'm not going to say that. Very few people like admitting when they're wrong. But think about this. Solomon as an old man at the end of his life is writing this journal and he was saying, I was wrong. I mean, I mean, I was wrong in how much humility it took for him to do that. Let me tell you something. God can use anybody. All it takes is for you to humble yourself. That's so very important. The courage it took for Solomon to say, you know what? Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't wreck your life the way I did. I love the honesty of God's word with that. Now, let me say this. I want to say from the get-go, I hope you know that now that one church is a me-too kind of place. It's like, and when we're talking about this stuff, you can go, oh yeah, me too. I've done that. I've wrecked this. I've wrecked that. None of us in here are perfect. In fact, if you're perfect, you're in the wrong place. All right? Uh, You need to go to the denial center because none of us are perfect. Let me tell you, before I came up on stage, I was afraid I was going to be late teaching. There was this little boy who came to me and says, you know what? I want to get saved. So I sat down and we kind of read through the Bible. And one of the verses I took him to, that again, this is not my notes, but you need to hear this, is Romans 3.23 that says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. None of us are perfect. So the reason why I think that's so important is if you come in here thinking, you know what, that they got all of their stuff together, then you're in the wrong place because this is a me too kind of place. All of us are in need of God's grace. All of us are in need of God's mercy. And if you've wrecked your life, i got a verse for you. Joel chapter 2, verse 25. Great verse. I discovered this about four or five years ago. This is, listen to what the Lord says. The Lord says, I will what? Give you back. Everybody say, give you back. I will give you back what you lost. And then he starts talking. Remember, these people, many of them are farmers. Many of them are growing wheat. And one of the worst things that you could have in this culture, in this climate, is when you have locusts. And not just locusts to come to eat some things, but eat everything. Look at this. I'm going to give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts, the hopping locusts, the stripping locusts, and the cutting locusts. I.e., you ain't got nothing. Right? All of the insects came and ate up all of your crops. But God says, I'm going to give it back to you. 
Let me tell you, if you humble yourself and you come back to God, God will give back to you what you've lost many, many times. In my quiet times, in my daily readings, I've been reading through the book of Job. And the great thing about Job, this man who experienced a lot of just terrible things happen to him, God gave him back. In fact, it says, I think it's in chapter 41, that God gave him back more than what he lost. And that's the type of God you and I serve. That if you've wrecked your life, that doesn't mean game over for you. That we all get a do-over. We all get a do-over. So let's go and let's look very quickly at the first four things that we can do to wreck our life. Number one, if you want to wreck your life, then number one, first week, let pleasure drive you. Just let your appetites determine the direction of your life. Let thrill-seeking, the stimulation of your senses, the eating, drinking, partying, sexing up, chasing, building, hooking up, conquering people, you allow all of that fun things to turn to addictions and they will wreck your life. That's what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. says, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself what? No pleasure. It was also... Now, we learned the Hebrew word for that, right? It's havel. Everybody say havel. Havel literally means it's like popping a soap bubble. That there's no purpose, there's no meaning, it's emptiness. He's saying, I went from party after party. I went from high after high. I went from bed to bed. And I did all of that stuff, and it was all havel. It was all meaningless, like chasing of the wind. If you want to wreck your life, week two, we said, let success consume you. That was week two. Then take that God-given, healthy ambition to accomplish something significant in life and make it all about you. Make it all about your people and use other people on the way to the top. Neglect those people that, that, that means the most to you. Just use them just to get your name in lights. Just to accumulate more. And Solomon climbed the success ladder only to find out that it was leaning up against the wrong building. Solomon clawed his way at the top of the pyramid, at the top of the food chain. And he realized that there was only enough space for one person at the top. And he was miserable. Look at verse 4 of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It says this. Then I observed that most people are motivated to, what is that next word? Success by the envy of their, y'all know what I'm talking about. How many of y'all, you got some Smiths, Joneses, Johnsons you trying to compete with, right? I mean, they got the new car and now your Ford Pinto don't look that good. Just to give you, it, it didn't look that good before they bought their new car, right? Just saying. I remember one of my first vehicles was a Geo Metro. Anybody remember a Geo Metro? Y'all ever seen Mr. Incredible and he gets in that car and he's bigger than the car? That's me, baby. You can call me Mr. Incredible. I'm just saying. I mean, it, it wasn't that good. And so many times we have a tendency to look at what other people have and we get motivated. God calls it covetousness or envy. And we want what we don't have. But this too, it says, is what? Meaningless like chasing of the wind. So success, just for success, it's meaningless. Week three, if you want to learn how to wreck your life, then just do it alone. Isolate yourself. This is what he says in verses 9 through 12 of Ecclesiastes 4. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. 
Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Solomon is saying, if you want to wreck your life, ignore what I just said. Shut people out. Just don't let anybody into your life. Don't do anything with anybody. You just let it just be about you and your family and us four and no more. And never let anybody in. Never let anybody to see who you really are. Never let anybody to see in to see what you really struggle with. You just make it all about you. And if you do that, you will wreck your life. Spend all your time behind the computer on Facebook, look at what other people are doing, and yet you ain't doing nothing. Isn't that something? Man, I got a Facebook account. Many of you do as well. But it's something that if we spend all of our time comparing ourselves to what other people are doing and never really connecting with other people, that's not how God wants us to live our life. That's not really living. That's isolating ourselves. That's what he's saying. So week four, this was last week. If you want to wreck your life, make money your goal. Make money your God, your little G. He says this, Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who, those who, what's that next word? Love money. And we talked about how many of us, we think that money is the root of all evil, and it's not. What's the root of all evil is the love of money. See, there's nothing wrong with money. And we talked about that last week. In fact, we asked everybody to raise your hands. I'm asking, how many of y'all want more money? Right? If you didn't raise your hand, you lied in church. I'm just saying. All right? But here's the thing. Money will never, if you'll never have enough, if you love it. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. It doesn't. We learned last week that the more you got, the more you worry. Worry about losing it. Worry about it rusting out. And see, really, the issue really isn't about money. It's the issue is who you're going to love and who you're going to worship. Our checking account tells us what or who we worship. And that's the reason why Jesus said so many times in the Bible, he connected our wallet to our heart. And if we want to live a purpose-filled life, then we have to give generously to those in need. We have to give the way he wants to give us. And, and again, we talked about we all want more money, but in order for us to have more money, we have to be faithful with what we've got. And we talked about the 10-10-80 principle. Y'all remember that? You give 10% to God, you put 10% in the savings, and you take 80% and you live on the rest. You spend it. Have fun, pay the bills, all that stuff. And if you live within that means, you won't wreck your life. That's it. It's that simple. And it's also that hard. Now, here's the thing. The last one, the last way to wreck your life is this. And look at verse chapter 12, verse 1. It says this. Procrastinate the important. Postpone the important. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, remember. Everybody say remember. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say, I will find no pleasure. The fifth way that you can wreck your life is by procrastination. It's by putting off the important. Now, I am going to be teaching you a sermon on procrastination. And by the way, I didn't prepare this the night before. That would be procrastination. It's a joke. You got to hang out with me, people. All right. Here's the thing. Thank you for that courtesy cackle. Wonderful. All right. What he's saying is this. Don't major in the minors. Don't put off what is important for what is urgent. You know what? Don't let your memories be filled with regret and guilt and shame and despair. That's what he's saying. You need to live a better story and you need to do it right 
now. When you, when you walk with God when you're 13 while you're still using proactive and have zits, you live with God now. When you're still learning how to drive a car, that is when you, that's when you walk with God now. That you walk with God now when you're a freshman in college. You walk with God now when you get your first marriage in your first year. You walk with God when you get your first child. You walk with God when you get your first job. You walk with God now. Because so many of us, we have a tendency to put off spiritual things to later, thinking, you know what, it's important, yes. It's not urgent, but it's important. So i got all the time in the world. That's what we're digging down into today. That's what we're talking about. Here's the thing. All of us have this tendency to say, you know what, i got all the time in the world. But I'm going to tell you, today, you really don't. I turn 41 next month. 41. Now, some of you, if you're past me, that's cool. We love you. All right. I remember when I was 27 years old thinking 41 was ancient. How many of y'all ever felt that way? We all do, right? In fact, you may be 60, but you remember when you were 20. Well, actually, you may not remember when you were 27. (laughs) Trust me, you thought it was ancient. All right. And, and, And the thing about this, when I look back now and I look and man, I just like 41's not that old. I don't think it is. Right? But see, it's a matter of perspective. Doesn't sound too old now. And here's the thing Solomon is saying, it's coming. Don't wait until things start falling apart on you. Don't do the girls and guys gone wild thing when you're young and put off the spiritual things when you're old, thinking, I got plenty of time to get right with God. You don't. And besides, a life apart from God is meaningless, it's a veil. Let me tell you. It's better to apply God's wisdom in your life when you're younger because it can make a big difference in your present and in your future. That's it. Your actions now will have consequences in your immediate and far-reaching future. So do it now. Make Him the center of your life now. Let Him lead you now in His wisdom and let Him define success for you now. Because if you do it in the now, you won't have regret later. That's what he's saying. I think it was C.S. Lewis who wrote this quote. No, it wasn't C.S. Lewis. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. No, it wasn't. It was, sorry, it was Garth Brooks who said this. <laughs> there are two sets of dates that you'll, they'll carve in your stone. And everyone knows what they mean. But what matters most is the time that is known by that little dash they're in, in between. You know, we all, we all only have one dash, don't we? We got a birth date. We got a death date. And what matters is the little dash. And that's exactly what it is. If you, if you don't wake up now, it's like a 9.6. It's that quick. It's like a dash. 100 meter dash. And I hear so many older people say, you know what? When I was younger, man, cherish the time, Chris. Cherish the time. You got your little babies at home. You just love on those kids. Cherish the time. Because when you blink, it'll all be gone. Of course, when you're younger and you're cocky, you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But it's true. Cherish the time. Go deep now in the most important things. Not just the urgent things. Because time goes quickly. Great movie. How many of y'all seen the movie City Slickers? All right, City Slickers. City Slickers is about this guy. His name is Mitch. 
He's uh, played by Billy Crystal, and uh, he is miserable. He's kind of in a midlife crisis, and uh, he's in a job that he hates, and his son invites him to his school to be able to speak, like, for career day. And, you know, you get, you know, Navy SEALs coming and talking about what they do, and you get firefighters and policemen and ER doctors coming to tell what they do. And what Mitch does for a living is sell advertising for radio. I mean, he doesn't even make the spots for that. He just sells time. And he's trying to explain this, and then he gets, he gets flabbergasted, and just at the end, he starts going on this rant. Let's watch it. Value this time in your life, kids. Because this is the time in your life when you still have your choices. And it goes by so fast. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s are a blur. 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? 40s, you grow a little pot belly, you grow another chin. The music starts to get too loud. One of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. 50s, you have a minor surgery. You'll call it a procedure but it's a surgery. 60s, you'll have a major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. <laughs> 70s, you and the wife retired to Fort Lauderdale. Start eating dinner at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You have lunch around 10, breakfast the night before. Spend most of your time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? The 80s, you'll have a major stroke. You end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand, but who you call mama. Any questions? Any questions? Man, it goes by quick, doesn't it? Absolutely. In fact, uh, listen to what Moses wrote in the Psalms. This is kind of cool. You know, Moses wrote a psalm. Really cool. In fact, we're going to be studying the life of Moses beginning next week. I'm really excited about this. Listen to what Moses has to say. Uh, Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to realize... The brevity of life, so that, so that we may grow in wisdom. You know what, if we just stop and realize just how short our life really is, then we would spend more time trusting in God and putting our faith in God and relying on His wisdom, in, in, on, in His knowledge. That's what He's saying. Without God's wisdom, we're never ever going to live the life that God really wants us to live. We're going to settle for second best. So Solomon says, get it right now before you get old. Now look at uh, verse, back to Ecclesiastes 12, 2. It says this. Remember him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dimmed to your old eyes and rain clouds continually darken your sky. This is what he's saying. There's a day coming when things won't be as bright for you as they are now. And for some of you who are older, a couple nights ago, we were over at some friend's house. And we got finished watching a movie. And uh, as we got finished watching the movie, we took out the movie. And somebody asked, hey, when did, when did that movie come out? And they gave the DVD case to my wife. And my wife was trying to, trying to see the date. And I hope she's not in here right now. Anyway, and um, so, uh, but I mean, it was difficult to see. And then the other two people... They couldn't see it, so I got it. And, of course, I just read it right up, you know, because that's just how. Come on now. Here's the thing. This is what, it's like this. My dad's this way. He's like 68 years old. And it could be like in the middle of the daytime, but he has to turn on the light in order to be able to see. All right, because he has a hard time seeing. That's what he's talking about. When you get older, your eyesight will go, right? And, I mean, your arms don't get long enough. 
And you try to hold it out. And I mean, it's just, it just gets that way. And then he says, look at this. He says, and rain clouds continually darken your sky. Any, anyone who's experienced the pain of someone with Alzheimer's knows what this looks like because there's a lot of cloudy days and a lot, there's lots of fog in your mind. Look at verse 3 and 4. Remember him before your legs, the guards of your house start to tremble. So you're starting to shake. And before your shoulders, the strong men begin to what? Stoop. In fact, some of you used to have punch cards for Starbucks. Now you have punch cards for your chiropractor, right? All right. Remember him. Everybody say remember. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants stop grinding. All right. You don't have any more teeth, right? So, and look at this. Before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed. Let me tell you one of the things that Solomon repeats over and over again. Look at this. Remember. Remember. Remember three times in those. In, in, in verse 1, it starts out, remember. Verse 2 starts out, remember. All right? What do you think Solomon's trying to teach us? Remember. Here's the thing. Anytime you're studying the Bible, if something gets repeated, 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 you better believe that that is what the author is trying to get you to understand. He's saying, remember him before the door of your life's opportunities is shut. Remember him when you're able to work at peak productivity. Because there's going to be a day coming that you're not going to be so peak. In fact, you used to, your productivity used to look like this. And now it looks like this, right? That's what he's saying. Look at 3 and 4. Remember him before the door of your life's opportunities is closed. And the sound of work, what? Fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds. And then all their sounds will grow faint. How many of y'all, you used to, when you were younger, maybe in college, you could sleep till 3 in the afternoon? Anybody? Totally there. Right? I mean, now you're lucky not have to get up at 3 a.m. to go pee, right? Seriously. I mean, this past Saturday, I slept in until 8.30. I never sleep in. Back's usually hurting. It wasn't hurting. Some of y'all, you take Tylenol PM the night before hoping you could just sleep a little bit longer, but it doesn't work. So you get up early in the morning, and it says before the, before the chirping of the birds, but guess what? You can't hear the birds because you ain't got your hearing aids in. Seriously, that's what it's saying. I mean, there's some, Solomon says, remember him now while you still love roller coasters. Remember him now while you still like eating cotton candy. Remember him now while you still like bungee jumping and skydiving because there's going to come a day, verse 5, that, look at the first word. What does it say? Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets. That means you got 14 locks on your front door and you're wearing one of those life alerts because you're afraid of falling and not getting up. There you go. Exactly right. I've fallen and I can't get up. That's what he's saying. Remember him before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom and you drag along without the energy like a what? A dying grasshopper. Wow. Thanks for coming to One Church, right? And look at this, and the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Now, I don't know what a caperberry is. I think it's kind of like Cialis or Viagra. I don't know, something like that. No, seriously, a caperberry is an aphrodisiac, all right? Now, I'm not talking afro, I'm aphrodisiac, and that's where it stimulates your sexual desire. And he's saying, you know what? Do it before that happens. That's what he's saying. Look at this, remember, everybody say remember. 
remember him before you get near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, what does it say? Remember your creator while now you are still young. Now let me tell you about the Hebrew word remember. It's used so much in this, so we need to really dig down deep in this. It means so much more than just don't forget. In fact, the Hebrew word remember, it's not just about memories. In fact, it's not really even talking about memories. Solomon uses this word remember. The Hebrew word is zekor. Zekor, and it signifies commitment and involvement. It signifies an act, to act decisively to get into the throes of something. That's what remember is. That's what he's saying. He's saying you need to start your spiritual journey now before you get old. Start your spirit. Stop procrastinating. In fact, procrastinating is the exact opposite of this word. Hebrew word zakor means remember. Don't stop. I mean, you need to get into the game now because if you don't, the game may be over or the music may stop. Let me tell you a little bit about this. Last October, my wife and I went on a cruise, all right? And um, it was fun. We had, my parents, for our Christmas present the year before, got us a cruise. And 30 minutes into the cruise, my wife broke her toe. And so uh, she kind of had a miserable time. And, uh, and I promised her a do-over. So I gave her a do-over. We went on a cruise last year. And the first night, Monday night, she, I mean, you know, after we got finished, she wants to go dancing. Now, I don't dance, all right? There's a reason why I don't dance. Because the way I dance, it looks like this. It's a very unattractive thing. I call that the white man's overbite. It's not pretty. But my wife says, let's dance. And I'm like, I don't know these people. You know, and I'm kind of hemming and hawing. And okay, so I'm, so we're sitting there watching dance and I'm kind of, kind of getting my inner courage, you know, and all right, so and so I'm getting ready to, you know, okay, let's go dance, you know, let's and and the music stops. And the band leaves, and that's it. See, here's the thing. So many times we have this thing where, you know what, we'll just wait and we'll put it off, or we'll wait to the next song, or we'll wait to the next inning, or we'll wait to the next day, and then we will do it. When you know what, we're not promised a next song, or next day, or next inning. There is no guarantees. That's what he's saying. The word remember is the exact opposite of procrastination and wait. So many of us, we procrastinate what's really important, and we replace it for the urgent. And we think, you know what, once I get older, then I'll get serious about God. But right now, i got too much party left in me. i got too many Friday and Saturday nights. I will get serious about God when I get older, when I can't dance, right? And why do we think we have all the time in the world? Let me tell you the reason why. It's because we have a tendency to measure how old we are by our birth date. Let me explain that a little bit. I just told you I'm going to be 41 next month. And I'm thinking, you know, at 41, I don't know how many years I've got. You know, 60, 70. I'm probably halfway through. But, so I'm thinking I may be older. But let's just play the what-if game. Let's say I die when I'm 104. And I'm 41 now. Am I halfway through yet? No, I'm not. In fact, I'm still a young man, right? So I just, I can't look at life though. Let me, let me give it. Let's say we have a 22-year-old. And the 22-year-old thinks, man, I've got all the time in the world. But what that 22-year-old is measuring his or her 
youngness, if you would, about how old they are by their birthday. But let's say that 22-year-old dies when they're 29. Is that 22-year-old, is that 22-year-old halfway through their life? You bet you they are. Because they only got seven more years left. You see, we, you and I cannot measure, we cannot measure the time that we have left based upon how old we are and when we were born back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever that was. We have to measure how old we are by when we're going to die. And here's the kicker. None of us know that. None of us know that. There's brevity of life. Listen to how David describes it. He says this in Psalm 103, verse 15. Our days on earth are like grass. Like wildflowers, we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we have never been here. You've heard what David said. Now, let's listen to what Robin Williams has to say about this. Mr. Pitts. It's a rather unfortunate name. Mr. Pitts. Where are you? We open your hymnal, page 542. Read the first stanza of the poem you find there. To the virgins to make much of time? Yes. The one. Somewhat appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Thank you, Mr. Pitts. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. The Latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem. Now, who knows what that means? Carpe diem. That sees the day. Very good, Mr. Meeks. Meeks. Another unusual name. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No. Ding! Thank you for playing anyway. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. I'd like you to step forward over here and peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. I don't think you've really looked at them. Not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts. Full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. They wait till it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable. Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. If you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it?
James, the brother of Jesus, said it like this. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. That's what Solomon is saying. You know what should be done, but you're not doing it because you think you've got all the time in the world. Our big idea today is this. Don't put off tomorrow what you can be doing today. Don't put off until tomorrow what you should be doing today. And let me tell you, all of us have those things that we should, we know what we should be doing, right? Come on now. We know, we know what's important. We know that we need to spend more time with our kids. But yet we spend more time watching television. That's not important. I mean, how many of y'all... How many of y'all know the halftime score of the Super Bowl last year? Nobody does. In fact, most of us, half of us probably couldn't even tell you who was playing. But yet, it's coming up, right? And we know, man, that's something we got to do. It's not important. Building relationships with our children is important. We know that we shouldn't take our spouse for granted. But yet, what do we do? We spend all of our time looking at YouTube and not investing in our spouses. We know that what it should be, that we need to start getting deeper into God's Word and, and learning God and knowing God more. But we can't because we're on Facebook seeing what everybody else is doing and not really caring about what God wants to do in and through us. See, that's not important. It's not important. It's screaming for our attention, but God's saying, no, 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 no. Don't put on, don't assume you've got a tomorrow and not do it today. What are those things that's important in your life that you've been neglecting for days, weeks, months, years? We get sidetracked with the urgent of paying bills and shuttling kids to soccer practice and this and going to PT and all, what all of that, whatever it is. We get sidetracked by all the urgent stuff, all the busy stuff, and we don't make time. We don't reprioritize our life to what's really important. In fact, Jesus said it like this. He said, seek the kingdom of God above what? All else. In fact, another version says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Not second, not third, not 18th. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. You see, this is not about trying to take God and fit Him into your busy schedule. If you're trying to do that, you've already lost. Because that may, you trying to take God and fit Him into your busy schedule, you're living your life like you are the main character. You see, what we have to do is we have to take our life and fit it into God's life, into God's schedule, because His life is so much bigger and grander, and He has a purpose for us, and it's not about filling holes with pleasure or sex or money or addiction or isolation or whatever all that junk is. He wants to give you and I purpose in life. But He's saying, you have to do it today. Don't assume you've got a tomorrow. Because if you keep on assuming and waiting for the next dance, if you keep on assuming and you're going to get off the bench and into the game in the next inning, you just may find out that the score is done and you're 
out of the game forever. So my challenge for you is don't make God an afterthought. Don't make Him second place. Don't put Him in a box and label Him, I'm going to get to you on Sunday. Because if you do, you will miss purpose of your life. You will miss joy of your life. You will wreck your life. And at the end of the day, at the end of your days, you may have found that you really have not lived a life. Jesus said it like this. I have come, John 10, 10, so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That's it. We get so satisfied with the little life that we got going on. Our little life on the T-ball. And God's saying, I want you to play in the big leagues. I've got a dream that's bigger than your dream. But in order for you to realize that, you've got to put me first. And you've got to do it today. So as as we close, the band's going to come out right now. And we're going to sing a song called, I Will Follow. And you know what? It's a great song. It's a great tune with great words. But all of it, if, if all it is is just coming out of your mouth, then you're missing it. Because I want you, number one, if you don't really plan on following him, don't sing it. It may just be Josh up here singing. I'd rather one person sing this and mean it than have 600 people say, you know what? I'll go through the motions. Because if you're going through the motions, you're missing it. What is God calling you to follow Him that may be difficult, that may be hard, that you've been postponing and procrastinating? And He's telling you right now, in the stillness and the smallness of this moment, now's the time. Now's the time to seize the life that I want you to live. But you have to put me first. And it has to be now. Dear God, Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for the sense of urgency. Because so many of us, Lord, we we put our life on autopilot. And we take for granted our spouse. We take for granted our children. We take for granted our jobs. We don't really live. Lord, I pray that you would awaken us from the stupor and the slumber that many of us are living right now. And Lord, that you would be able to sing, allow us to sing this song. I will follow you no matter if you're calling me to go to some place that's going to call me to be uncomfortable. I'm willing to follow. That I'm willing to follow you if that means I got to stop what I'm doing today and re-prioritize my life, I will do that. I will follow you now. Not tomorrow, not the next day today. It is about today. If we live life today, Jesus Christ, like to the fullest, then all of our todays will mean something. It will be a legacy for our children and our children's children. And we won't have a wrecked, busted up, wasted So today, we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. We lean not on our own understanding. 
Lord, we acknowledge you as first. We follow you. In Jesus' name.